Morning, family. It's great to see you this morning. Doesn't life feel better after the Springboks won? Amen. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so proud of Siakulisi and our team. It was so wonderful to see them come back after the first 15 minutes. How many of you wanted to leave and just go, go do the garden or something else? But uh, we're so thankful for that. It's good to see you this morning and to, to be with you on this wonderful, wonderful day. Next day is a special day also. I just want to remind all the ladies, the wives particularly, what is next Sunday? Father's Day. Okay, just, just want to make sure you remember. Just want to make sure. We've been having great fun, and I, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed our time together as uh, we've been looking at uh, some of the heroes of our faith in the New Testament, and, and uh, we've coined them, we've called them the lesser-known heroes of the New Testament, and we've had a, a great time just looking at some of their lives and learning so many things from them, and today's going to be no different. We want to go and spend a bit of time with a uh, uh, somebody else that we ha can get such good encouragement from. And I'm going to do what we've basically done over the last period of time is just tell you their story and then make some applications from the story of this wonderful couple uh, in the New Testament. And it's uh, Priscilla and Aquila that we're going to talk about today that uh, became a real power couple in the, in the New Testament. Uh, forget Brangelina, they don't even exist anymore, or any other famous uh, uh, power couples you can think of. This is a real power couple, and we still talk about them today and uh, tell their story. I don't know how many of you remember a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about Phoebe as one of our heroes. Um, we actually were in the portion of Scripture where their names are also mentioned, uh, that of Priscilla and Aquila, and that's in Romans 16. So I want to start there. Um, but this portion of Scripture in Romans 16 is actually towards the end of the story of Priscilla and Aquila. But it's uh, the point where I want to start and then go move backwards and go to the beginning of their story. So if you can, you can go to Romans 16 with me and uh, let's look at the Scripture there. We all have it on the screens. But if you're at home uh, or listening on the radio, please make sure that you uh, have Romans 16 open unless you're driving. Then please don't listen, turn to Romans 16. But in Romans 16, uh, Paul, at the end of this letter to the Romans, to the church in Rome, gives uh, many greetings. And uh, in the first verses that we spoke about uh, two weeks ago, he spoke about Phoebe. But then he moves on to some personal greetings that he would like to give to the people in, the, in Rome and in the church there. And he begins with this couple. And in verse 3 uh, to 5, we read the following. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Often we talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Here Paul gives her by her sort of more formal name, which is Prissa. The, the, the name Priscilla is actually the diminutive form of Prissa. It's the more affectionate term. It's like we would often have in Afrikaans, if your name's Gert, then everybody calls you Gerki, that loves you and knows you. And uh, sometimes that is not so nice, but that's how it is. And uh, so her name was Prissa, but her sort of diminutive, more affectionate form of that was Priscilla. And therefore, you'll most often in the scripture uh, hear her referred to as Priscilla. So greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now, this word greet is a very interesting term that he uses here. Uh, if we translate it from the Greek, it's actually give them a big old bear hug. 
from me. Give them a big old bear hug. Not a Hatfield hug. Very Christian hug. But a big old bear hug. Just a lot of affection. Just will somebody grab them and just send them all my love and affection. Because they were my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. We, we served the Lord together for a period of time. Who for my life risked their own necks. Now we don't quite know what happened. But at some point, quite early on in Paul's ministry, and if you know Paul's life, then you know he was a guy that often got himself in trouble. You know how many times that he was he beaten, was he left for dead, was he shipwrecked, all of these things. But at some point earlier on in his ministry, Priscilla and Aquila actually came to his aid and rescued and saved his life. Now, we really don't know what happened, but we just know that it happened. And Paul says, because of that, it is not only I that am thankful, Paul, that is thankful for them, but also all the churches among the Gentiles should say thanks because Paul was the apostle sent to the Gentiles. It was, he was the major, uh, given the responsibility to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And because they saved him lice, he, oh, pff, lice, where did that come from? They saved his life. Because they saved his life at some point, he was able to fulfill that task and take the gospel to the Gentiles. How many Gentiles do we have in the room here today? If you're a Gentile, own it, man. Put up your hand. Now, some of you may go, what is a Gentile? Not a gentle Christian, a Gentile Christian. I hope we're all gentle Christians. Who's not Jewish here today in origin, but that you come to the faith as not from a Jewish place? So raise your hands. Most of us, if not almost all of us. Can we say thank you, Priscilla and Aquila? Thank you, Gerben, for getting the crowd going a little bit. You did better than what the South guys did. They were the four that only spoke. But it was a bit colder. So thank you, Priscilla and Aquila, for the work they did and, and that today we still have the privilege of this power couple and how they serve. But let's look at their story and how their story unfolded because it wasn't quite such an easy story. It's so wonderful that we can be thankful for them but if you know the story behind the story, you even perhaps appreciate them a little bit more. If we turn to Acts, Luke records to, uh, for us the, the unfolding of the planting and the establishment of the gospel in the world uh, in the time of the New Testament. And in Acts 18, he introduces to us the work that was going on in Corinth and Priscilla and Aquila that was very much part of that story. Now remember when we read in Romans 16, we find them in Rome towards the end of their latter part of their lives. But here we find them in Corinth. Acts 18, verse 1 to 3. After these things, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, we know a little bit of information about them and their history. It is most likely that uh, Priscilla was not a Jew because of the fact that Aquila is described as a Jew, but Pris Priscilla is not. She was probably a Roman uh, lady, young girl, that grew up in Rome to an aristocratic family. In other words, an upper-class family. At some point... In his life, Aquila moved to Rome, and, and that, that's where they met, probably as younger people. 
and they started their relationship. Whether it was a marriage that was organized, whether it was they fell in love, we don't quite know the story, but in some way this couple got together and started life together. Not only did they live together, but they started a business together, and uh, they became quite successful in their business. Now, they came to know the Lord Jesus in Rome, as far as we understand. Now, we don't exactly know how Christianity was introduced into Rome, because we don't have a record of the first Christians that went into Rome like we do with other places. It is most likely church historians believe that the gospel found its way to Rome because there were Romans present in the time of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples in the upper room and they started speaking in other languages and some of the people that were there actually heard the gospel in their own language. It is very likely that some of those were Romans that actually went back to Rome and that preached the gospel in Rome and that that's how the church began there. In the fourth century, one of the Christian commentators and writers in that time, a Roman himself that lived in Rome, a guy by the name of Ambrio Saster. How many of you ladies are pregnant and expecting a boy? Can I introduce to you this wonderful name, Ambrio Saster, as a possibility that you can name your son? I'd like to see in a couple of months that we dedicate some Ambrio Sasters. Ambrio Saster wrote, and he said the following about the, the Christians in Rome. He said, um, uh, the, the Roman believers had embraced the faith of Christ, although they saw no sign of mighty works, nor any of the apostles. And we just believe that without great fanfare, without great power and preaching, some Romans were exposed to the gospel and just took it back to Rome with them and started sharing it with, their, with the people they knew, and so the gospel took root in a very organic kind of way in Rome. Without any great preachers there, without any great miracles recorded, just the gospel landed and found fertile soil in Rome. And this couple, in, in some way, somewhere, got introduced to the, to the gospel and lived as part of the church in this, the eternal city, Rome. And everything was just going along, life was happening, until around AD 49, 49 years after Christ. There was an emperor by the name of Claudius, interesting guy that he's the only emperor mentioned twice in the New Testament of the Roman emperors of the time. He had a problem that many of the emperors and Roman governors had is that the Jewish people were causing him headaches. Because the Jewish people had this belief that they shouldn't be governed by any worldly government, but that they're God's people, they would from time to time cause upheavals and riots. And particularly when there was some kind of a messianic figure, a guy that, that came around and felt like you know, he had the call and he had to stir up the people. And this happened in Rome. In 120 AD, a Roman a historian by the name of Suetonius, another wonderful boy's name, Suetonius, uh, wrote in 120 that because of the Jews of Rome were indulging in constant riots at the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from the city. There was a guy in that time, one of these pseudo-messianic figures that self-proclaimed Jewish leaders by the name of Christus, not to be confused with Christus, but Christus, which was a more common name, who preached in that time and stirred up the Jewish population in Rome, and they started rioting and causing problems, eventually to the point where Claudius said, enough. 
So he passed an edict uh, in, in AD 49, and he, he expelled all the Jews from Rome. He kicked them out of Rome. Now, from the, Jewish perspe- from the Roman perspective and from his perspective as the, gov- uh, as the emperor, he didn't make a distinction between Christians and Jews. They were all part of the Jewish, they were just a sect, Christians from the Jewish faith. So he kicked all of the lot, he kicked out of Rome. Basically just took their homes, their businesses, and just kicked them out. So in a matter of a short space of time, this wonderful couple, Priscilla and Aquilus, lose their business, lose their home, and find themselves as refugees looking for a new place to live. And so they traveled around for a period of time until we find them here in Acts 18. And now we find them in Corinth. Because they were tent makers, people that made work with canvas, with sails, Sometimes this term can also be translated to be leather workers, which in other words is they made sails for ships, they made tents, tarps, covering for tents, and and, and many of the buildings had tent sails that was included. This was their business. Corinth, although it was a very dangerous city at the time, it was a very immoral city. It wasn't a a place that many, many people would want to just flock to. It did have great business opportunities. So this young couple, particularly at that time, there were some games going on in Corinth, uh, you know, some sports that were going on and lots of shade was needed, needed. And because it was a city on a port, many ships passed through there and would be in need of sails. They, they settled there and restarted their business of making sails and tent makers and lived in Corinth. And it's there that when Paul came on his second missionary journey into Corinth, around about AD 52 or AD 53, So they've traveled around for a period of time. The scripture tells us they just arrived in Corinth at the same time, more or less, Paul arrived in Corinth, that they connected up with one another. The scripture says he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working together, for by trade they were tent makers. So I I can imagine that someday they were at a church event or at a service or at something, They didn't have LinkedIn in those days, you know, networking, social media, where business people could share their information and and, and find work. But somewhere along the line, something could have happened of the nature where where somebody that knew Paul and and, and Paul came into Corinth said, hey, I know this couple and they own a business and you're a tent maker and they tent makers and introduced them to one another. And Paul ended up working with them and staying with them in their home. And that's how their relationship began. Not necessarily did they spend their time in church space, they actually spent their time together in workspace together. And it's there where Paul discipled them and, and shared the gospel with them as they were stitching nets and working together and having sales calls and, and meetings with clients and, and just working together that they were sharing the gospel with each other. Now, just a little side note here, just for our interest's sake, it, it is noteworthy that Paul, when he comes to Corinth, decides to take a job, an everyday job, to look after himself. Paul believes, and you can read it in in 1 Corinthians, he believes in the principle, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, he talks about how it is right for the gospel worker to earn his living out of the gospel. That it is right for the spiritual worker to gain material support because of his spiritual work. He believes in that principle. He even believes that Jesus commanded it, that Jesus said 
that uh, the, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9.14. He believed in those principles. But when he came to Corinth, he didn't do that. He actually changed his behavior. And for the sake of the Corinthians, and because there were some controversies and pro problems, because he didn't want the gospel to be in any way impeded, he decided not to take money from the Corinthians and not to allow them to support him financially. He got some support from, the, from other churches outside of Corinth. The, the Philippians, for instance, supported him. And he would say in the scripture that he robbed the other churches so that he could live among the Corinthians. So some of them sent him money, but because he needed some more, he would go and find a job. It was also because he wanted to show the Corinthians a good example of somebody that applies themselves, that is diligent, because he also wanted to be generous and give to others. He, in that situation, decided to take an everyday job. So every day, Paul would pick up his tools and go off down to the shop and meet with Priscilla and Aquila you know, or they would come home from home together or however the arrangement was. If they went by a Starbucks first, got a cup of coffee, I don't know. But they would work together every day. And then from time to time, they'd be together in church spaces and occasions. But this is where their relationship really grew and strengthened. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth teaching the word, sharing, building the church, raising up the local church in Corinth. In Acts 18, verse 18, we read how he moves on. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And, went, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogues and reasoned with the Jews." So after 18 months, having been in Corinth, working, sharing the gospel, he moved on to Ephesus to go and share the gospel there to continue the, the job of planting the church. He then asked his great friends if they wouldn't join him and go with him. So Priscilla and Aquila packed up their business, packed up their home, loaded everything on a ship, and off they went to Ephesus. On the way, they stopped at this, this port Chenshreya, which was eight miles from Corinth. Who can remember who lived there? Who was from that town? Phoebe. Remember, that's where she came from. She was in that church. So they spent a little bit of time there, had a haircut. You know, the whole deal as we do when we travel. This had a bit more purpose to the haircut deal. But eventually they landed in Ephesus. So Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila go to Ephesus. And they set up shop. Priscilla and Aquila start a business again. They've, they've moved there. They start a new home. And uh, in that place, they continued to serve the Lord. At that point, it doesn't seem that Paul continued to work with them, but they continued on with their business and just became part of the community. Eventually, their house was opened, and their house actually became one of the venues where the church would meet. And so every so often, people would come into their home. In verse 24, we read the story carries on. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scripture. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So in comes this young, hotshot preacher. He's got all the tattoos, the muscles, the t-shirt, 
of a modern day hip and happening preacher. You know how the younger preachers nowadays look like, you know? Not like me. I, I'm the older generation. I have what my children commonly refer to as a father figure. Not I am a father figure, I have a father figure. He was one of the younger generation, up and coming, hot guys, you know, had thousands of followers on, on Instagram. He was just, you know, he was getting going. He was, you know, he's preaching the gospel and he was lit, man. He was just doing it. There we go. I may not be cool, but I know cool people. So Apollos was, and he was a great young guy, really just setting the world on fire, preaching the gospel, accurately sharing that which he knew. But as he was sharing in that space in Ephesus, you know, there was sort of the first place where his ministry started, you know, revival started happening, his name started getting known. Uh, as he was sharing the gospel, it soon became apparent that although he was accurate with what he knew, he didn't, there were gaps in his knowledge. He didn't know everything. So we carry on reading. Being acquainted with only the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It is the responsibility of every preacher to preach accurately. Amen? Are you sure about that? But even if we're accurate as preachers, we do not know everything. We are supposed to be accurate with what we know, but from time to time we recognize or others will recognize that there's a gap in our understanding. Apollos was of that nature. He was accurate with what he knew, but he didn't know everything. He knew about the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. He didn't know about the baptism of Christ. He didn't know about the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and so one Sunday they were at church, if you forgive my modern you know, context, they, they were at church and Priscilla and Aquila heard him speak and they went, whoops, whoops. So they did what so many good Christian people do, they invited him for lunch. Now sometimes if you as a preacher get a spur of the moment invitation for lunch after church, you don't know if you're going to have lunch or be the lunch. Some Christians love to have roast preacher for Sunday lunch. The decent one invite the preacher to it. Many of them don't even bother to invite the preacher. They just roast him for lunch in any case. So, so Apollos goes for lunch. But this wasn't one of those events where they were going to have roast preacher. What they actually did is they were so kind. They sat him down. They fed him. You know, he's a man. The way to a man's heart. You know how that goes. So they fed him. They brought him home. Had to let him have a bit of a rest probably. Just had a fun conversation. Then at some point in the afternoon when he's now relaxed, they said, listen, can we share with you some of the things we learned from our time with Paul? When we were in the church in Corinth and when we were working together, mending the nets, Paul discipled us in the ways of the Lord Jesus. And, and they shared with him. And uh, Apollos being a a, a, a wonderful young man, a humble young man, heard what they shared and immediately took it on. And he, and he, and he received their accurate instruction. So much so that if you continue reading his story, he actually went back to, uh, to, to Corinth 
because there were problems brewing in the church of Corinth, and he started preaching and sharing the word and became very powerful, and, and, and he helped deal with some of the legalism that was arising in, in, in Corinth. To the point that he became so powerful that how many of you remember that there's a problem in Corinth that grew that some Corinthians were saying they are of Paul, some were saying they are of Apollos, some were saying that they are of Peter, and some were saying they are of Christ. And a, and, and a, fi- a friction started between these four groups and, and they actually started you know, having some, some schisms that broke out and people were arguing. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, Paul... Some plant, Paul planted. Some water, Apollos watered. He says, we're all together. And actually at some point, Apollos wanted to withdraw from from the Corinthians because he didn't want to have this develop. He didn't want people to be followers of him. He wanted them to follow Christ. And he worked with Paul to bring unity back into that church. A wonderful story of this young man. All because of a lunch that he spent with this great couple. Then we carry on reading. The last time we read about them, Paul writes in his final letter, probably written about 66 AD, right at the end of his ministry, Paul's actually starting to say goodbye to everybody because he's awaiting his death. He got martyred in around 67 AD, and the last letter he wrote was the second, was to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, right towards the end, he says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphus. Now this household of Onesiphus was in Ephesus. But between them, this point where we see them now, something else happened in their life. Around about AD 54, Claudius, who passed this edict where everybody was kicked out, all the Jews out of Jerusalem, died. And his successor, Nero, canceled the edict and opened up the city of Rome to Jewish believers again. And many Jews moved back into Rome, and Priscilla and Aquila was some of those. That's why when we read in in, uh, Romans 16, when Paul sends them the greeting to the church in Rome, because they were in Rome. So in between, from Corinth, so they went from Rome to Corinth, from Corinth to Ephesus, from Ephesus back to Rome. And now we found them there in Rome having moved back, setting up business again, their house open again, church meeting at their house, like it's been in Corinth, like it's been in Ephesus. Now again, we see it in Rome. Their their house is open, the church is meeting there. We, We never find that they are actually church leaders. They're just these people that are so hospitable and just support and the church. And there they were living. The church in their house met there for about 10 years until that event that took place that so many of us know about when Rome burnt. Remember the story of Nero and uh, this big fire. And and it said that in Rome they had 14 uh, suburbs at that time. And 10 of the suburbs were destroyed in this great fire. And it is in that great fire that uh, it, the, one of the areas was the uh, uh, area by the, by the ocean that was, um, or, uh, or by a port that uh, where the Jewish people, sort of a quarter of, of the city where the Jewish people lived, was one of the areas that was destroyed. And after that, what did Nero do? Who did he blame for the fire? He blamed the Christians and the persecution broke out. So again, Priscilla and Aquila run for their lives. 
They have to leave. It is very likely that their house and business actually burned down in that fire. So now we find them at the end when Paul writes to, to, to Timothy back in Ephesus. This time they have no church in their home. It could have been that either the church at Ephesus has been established enough that they didn't have to use their home, but it is very likely historians believe that they actually left Rome that last time with nothing but the shirts on their backs, figuratively speaking. Lost everything. Back they are. Involved back in the church in Ephesus. And it is here where Paul finally greets them. What a story of this couple and how their life was just this life in movement as refugees and then as missionaries, always going somewhere. I want to make three applications quickly from their life. Three things that I think we should notice from their life. The first thing is in everything they lived for Jesus. In everything they lived for Jesus. They certainly faced many challenges through their lives. They were just like many people. The events of history of the time knocked them about. There were things going on in their world that, which they had no control over, which had very little to do with them actually, but caused great interruptions in their lives. Not once, but twice. They lost their home and their business because of an emperor and his decisions. But yet, they kept their faith. Yet, they kept their eye on the big picture. You see, we can sometimes think that the big picture is the movements of this world, is the things going on in, on the earth. We can think the big picture is the geopolitical shifts and moves. But can I tell you, the real big picture is the kingdom of God. And what's happening in, on God's agenda. Their lives were affected by the decisions of others, the emperors and the, and the things that happen. But can you see the providence of God? How he every time caught, caught them in the midst of this shifting and changing world. I wonder if when Paul wrote Romans 8 verse 28, if he didn't have this couple in mind. Remember when Romans 8.28 says, And God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. This couple was a living example of that. Where not merely did things work out for them, it didn't really in the end, but it worked out that through them, the kingdom of God was established and planted. And that was the power of their lives. That they somehow kept their eyes on the real big picture. I want to ask you this question. Are you thrown around by history or living his story? Are you thrown around by history? We live in history. We live in times and spaces where things are happening. You may have lost your job or your business may have suffered or you have closed down your business because of the economic situation going on in our world. You may have been knocked around. You have been, had the carpet pulled out from under your feet. You may have suddenly been retrenched because of some things that happened in your life. Your relationships may have suffered. Anything could have happened to any one of us in this life because we live in history. Things are going on all around us that affect us. Even as believers, we are not outside of history. But the difference for us is that we don't just live in history. We live in His story. 
And even if I lose my job like these two did and and lose my business and lose my home, God's providence can come through. And His will can be established. And He can turn everything around if I keep my eyes on His story. What is the story of God in our time? What is the story of God in your life? What is the story that God is busy writing in your surroundings, in your family? That's the story we tap into because that's the secure story, the rock of ages from the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not a capricious ruler that passes and changes edicts. He's building his story. The second lesson we can learn from them is they used every opportunity for Jesus. Not only did they in everything live for Jesus, but they used every opportunity for Jesus. They didn't have a work-church divide in their lives. They didn't live in different spaces, their faith. They didn't have faith in church. Perhaps a little bit of a different faith at home and perhaps a very private faith at the workplace. Here we see a couple that integrated everything and they, they used every opportunity for Jesus. Whether it was at church, whether it was having the church in their home. You know, at church, they used the opportunity to disciple a young up-and-coming preacher. They opened their home many times for the church. In their workplace, it was God's space where God could work, where discipleship could happen, where the faith could be shared. They didn't have a divide. What a wonderful life to live. I think that is one of the big stories that God is busy telling us in this world as Christians that we have to tap into. That no matter what the changes of history is, we are living His story both at home, in church, in our workspace, everywhere we go, we are living His story. And we are missionaries. This young couple was sent out as missionaries everywhere they went. Not because they were officially sent in any way, but just because they lived it. What an encouragement that is for us today. That every space we find ourselves in, every place, we are with Jesus. And I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus with you every day? Not just in that He's with you, strengthening you, comforting you, but that He's with you in such a way that it's visible to other people. I had such a neat testimony. One of of our family members at the South Church said this testimony this morning that they came to the Easter celebration. Remember, and what did we do on Sunday? We gave out Bibles. And we asked people, won't you take a scripture and and just hand it to somebody you feel God leads you? He said he was a bit naughty that Sunday. He took five Bibles, not just one. And he took some of them to work with him. And uh, at work, he got an opportunity. The Lord led him to give it to somebody. And he shared the the scripture with somebody. And and eventually the guy came back and, and said he, you know, and he led the guy to the Lord through the Bible that he gave him. One day, as, as, as he was seeing the guy at work, the guy came and said, look, I've, I've been reading some of the scripture, and I've got a problem with a portion of scripture that talks about healing the sick. So he said, come, let's read that scripture. Bring your Bible. And they read it together. And, and the guy said he, he, he was in, uh, in his own situation struggling because he was in a taxi accident a, a while ago, and uh, he had bad back problems, and um, he has to go for more operations for them. So he said, well, this is what the scripture says. If we pray for the sick, they will be healed. So they prayed right there, and they, they trusted God for his healing. He went back a, a week or two later for his scan, and the doctors cleared him and said, your back is completely fine. 
Then this guy, so caught by what God was doing in his life, he's from Zimbabwe. Uh, his brother was in a coma due to diabetes. So he came to this, this friend of his and he said, listen, I, I want us to pray for my brother who's you know, in, a, in a coma. And, and they, so they, what they did is they, mess, they, they prayed, prayed a prayer and recorded it on WhatsApp and sent it to the family and asked them to play the prayer over WhatsApp to the man in hospital. The prayer arrived at nine o'clock that evening, 12 o'clock, he woke up from his coma and was healed. And that guy who took the first Bible has actually now given that Bible on to other people. We have a gospel. And in every space, we not only share the gospel, we live the gospel. At work, we don't only at work share the gospel when it's appropriate, and I know there's boundaries and, and, and restrictions and, and whatever, but we can in every place live the gospel in terms of that our work is worship and that our work has meaning and that through our work we can impact this world. Priscilla and Aquila lived that. The last lesson, together they lived for Jesus. I love this together, and I know in communion this morning, Herbin emphasized it for us together. There's many stories in Scripture of gospel ministers, and, and though some of them were married, the stories of that, are, that are told of them are often told of them as individuals, even though they were married. But here we see a story of a couple that together were intertwined in their story. We never read of them separately. Some of us are not in a place where we can, as couples, serve the Lord together. And, and, and like many of the New Testament heroes, you're doing a great job of serving the Lord as an individual. Perhaps you're not married or don't have a significant person in your life that you can do that with. Or, or perhaps you are married and in a relationship, but the other person is not with you in that faith. And you can serve God and make a great impact for God. You don't have to be married. But this is a beautiful example of a couple together serving the Lord. Not officially because the church said they had to. It was just who they were. It was just who they were. And they served God and they opened their homes and their business and just loved people and just was hospitable and cared for people. I think in our own community how powerful it is that we have people that open their homes. Whether they do it officially like we have with our life groups. How many life group leaders are here this, this morning? Just raise your hand if you're a life group leader and your home is open and people come and, and share in your home and your hospitality. Let's give them a round of applause and just say thank you. Thank you for sharing. For being an example of this. I can remember in my own life how I benefited through so many people that are in this community. As I grew up as part of this community, there were families that just opened their homes to me and just loved me and just, they didn't have me for lunch every time I made a mistake. I think of the, the Duttons, Dales and Sharon sitting over there, their parents, and we were together in youth when we were small and, and I was often at their house. And other friends of ours that lived just down the road from them, I almost set their house on fire once. They could have really had me for lunch. But just older people, they just loved me. They just opened their homes. And every now and then when the opportunity came, they would teach us the word and, and, and pray for us. And, but, but from a place of just, you're part of us. You just belong. One of these couples that in my life meant so much to me, it's only years later that I realized they were actually going through very difficult times. They were really struggling as a family. But I never picked it up. 
because they just opened their home. They didn't wait for everything to be perfect. Like Priscilla and Aquila, their story wasn't perfect. They didn't have all their ducks in a row. They didn't have everything sorted. They had enough reason to have bitterness and and, and anger and frustration in their lives. But they didn't let that stop them. I want to encourage you. Live for Jesus together. Whether together means as a couple, as a family, or whether together means with somebody else that you share the faith with, find ways to express together. I mean, Jesus said in John 13, 35, it is by your love for one another that they will know that you are my disciples. Whenever he sent the disciples out, he sent them two by two. It must be our value that together, like this couple did, we share and we live our faith so that it is real, it is visible, it becomes tangible. So as I end my three questions, are you thrown around by history or living his story? Is Jesus with you every day in a way that others can actually see him? And do you serve the Lord together with someone else in a way that becomes real and tangible and visible? Won't you stand with me and let's pray together. Lord, we first of all want to begin this morning and just say thank you to you for the working of your spirit in the life of Priscilla and Aquila. They were just regular people. But because of the reality of the gospel, you were able to use them in such powerful and beautiful ways. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that in the same way you work in each and every one of us. We are just regular people living regular lives in the midst of a world and a history and stories that are happening. But thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into your story. That we're not just living in our times, we are living in your time. We are living in your space. And thank you, Lord, that every single moment of our lives, everything can be part of that story. And I pray that for each of us, Lord, in Jesus' name. That you will work in our lives so that we have no divisions. We have no separations of spaces. We're somewhere you belong more than others. But that in everything, our lives will be about you, Lord Jesus. That every day, wherever we go, you are with us. It's not a decision we have to make. It's just what it is, Lord. I pray that for each and every one of us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that for meaningful relationships for us right here, in our community. Thank you for a community of faith. Thank you, Lord, that I can belong, that I can be part of, that I can experience you through the love and the grace of others. Thank you, Lord, that there are gaps in my knowledge, no matter how accurate I try and be, that there's things I don't know. And thank you that others can come and help me see and learn what I don't know. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that as a community will strengthen us to live our faith together. As husbands and wives, as families, for those that, that where that's applicable, I pray, Lord, let us be power couples in the kingdom in Jesus' name. Or through other relationships, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Thank you for every person here today, Lord. Thank you for your story in every person's life. I want you to be aware of that this morning. I just feel the Holy Spirit wants every person to know 
No matter how you would describe your own personal journey right now, no matter how you would describe your faith, whether you think you're hot, whether you think you're cold, whether you think you're lukewarm, I want to tell you today, you are part of God's story. You belong. You have a place. Your life has meaning. Meaning that is far above the events of this world. And Lord, I pray for that to settle in us so that we may have peace and live in your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. We would love to pray with you. We also have baptism at the, in the functions hall if you're going to get baptized. But it will be so great for us if we can pray with you this morning. If you have a need in prayer, if you want to talk to somebody about getting to know the Lord Jesus and becoming a Christian, just come to the front. Our team will be here. We'll spend some time with you and just pray with you and trust God for His working in your life. May the Lord bless you. Have a tremendous week. Remember, you are the missionaries of the Lord everywhere you go. Amen.